Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, cake week was wilder than anyone could have imagined. <laughs> Connor, I just want to tell you real quick. Brittany's family's in town. I, You know how we do it, right? You look at the schedule. You say, hey, here's kind of what I can go to the grocery store. I said, yep. Guys, there's no chance I need to say anything for 330 today. Let's be honest. You know, I mean, the odds of Florida losing the Vandy are very low. Well, I found myself inexplicably somehow in an FSU bar in the middle of Atlanta. I don't know how. It was like a little place that we stopped to get a drink or whatever. Just on my phone, staring because they didn't want to watch the Florida game for whatever reason. They're not that level of hater. They couldn't be me. But I was just watching this game like, I'm sorry, guys. I told you there was a 1% chance this could happen. This we are living it. <laughs> Yes, it was that kind of day. Just results that felt very random. If you weren't a top five team that struggled, um, I, well, I actually every top five team struggled in obviously Tennessee losing the way that it did to South Carolina. We have so, so many thoughts on that and how truly random it felt. We were talking before we came on. It felt a little bit. 2018 Ohio State losing at Iowa ish. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very similar vibes to that. Or no, you know what? That was 2017. 2018 was the loss of Purdue. That's yes. maybe what it felt more like was getting just boat raced by a very middle of the pack team that you're just like, oh, this came out of nowhere. This makes no sense whatsoever. I don't know he how looking to process good that day. Yes. Yes, that, both of those teams looked – Iowa could have beat any any team on the face of the earth during that game in 2017. Any mm-hmm. team. Pro, doesn't matter. Um, South Carolina felt like that on Saturday <laughs> night. Just wild, wild, wild. We're going to do things a touch differently today. We're still going to break down the SEC versus SEC games, of which there were four of those. But we're going to update the Heisman conversation as well because had some pretty significant developments, obviously, with Hendon Hooker, Drake May, both of their teams both losing and the way that it played out with Hooker, unfortunately, going down. Uh, we're going to talk a little a little playoff and then a, a preview of what awaits with rivalry week. But before we dig into everything else, well, so <clears throat> true story on what was it? Ooh, <clears throat> got to clear my throat a little bit, get emotional just talking about it. so. Uh, it was, I think it was, yeah, it was Thursday night. Lauren had a, had a work event that she was out for, um, didn't get back until about like eight 30, nine o'clock at night. So, you know, do the old, Hey, let's just get the, the pre-made Tyson chicken fingers heated up something quick that, that can mm-hmm. just be ready by the time that she gets home. So I, I get out a smorgasbord of sauces. Lauren loves sauces. I call her the sauce boss. Mm-hmm. What do you think I turn to Texas Pete? Of course. Of course. We have. All the different kinds of Texas peaches. Like, oh, let me, I'm going to try a little bit of honey mustard. I'm going to try a little bit of the barbecue. I'm going to try all these different combinations because that's what Texas Pete brings to the table. And if you're one of these people that's like, ah, it's kind of just a ho-hum meal, there's nothing that can kick it up quite like the variety that Texas Pete has. Told you many, many times that Texas Pete has the spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. That's why they are presenting sponsor of Saturday on South Podcast. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, which I cannot recommend enough, run, don't walk, grab yourself a bottle today. Visit TexasPete.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus, take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday Down South. That is all caps. All one word, Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. All right, well, we got to start with what happened in South Carolina on Saturday night. I mean, truly a baffling, baffling 60 minutes of football. I texted my brother earlier in the day uh, before everything started. I said, 
Nothing would say this sport is madness more than Kentucky beating Georgia. I was wrong. Nothing said this sport is madness more than what happened in Columbia on Saturday night at williams Bryce Stadium. 63 points? What? Super Saiyan Marcus Satterfield. <laughs> I, I kept waiting for the, the prank of Spurrier. Like, it was just going to be some elaborate Spurrier prank. Where, where they show, you know, Marcus Satterfield's not really talking into a headset. It, it Like, we were just going to find out that this was Spurrier, and it was some sort of un- undercover boss situation. Mm-hmm. And Spurrier was really behind all these plays the entire time. And maybe South Carolina players were going to take off their helmets, and it was going to be Ohio State or, or something like that. But, man, South Carolina played the perfect game. And, I mean, mm-hmm. for the most part, at least offensively, that was the perfect game I did. I, I had no no idea when we did this preview pod that there was even a one percent chance that we could see that play out. I, I said, in no world could I see Spencer Rattler beating Hendon Hooker in a shootout. No, none. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I feel dumb when I predict something and it doesn't pan out. Which don't look at my picks this week on those SDS <laughs> graphics. Real bad. Um, I don't feel dumb for this because nothing said this was coming at all. <laughs> Number 11 at offense in the SEC. Take away the special team scores. They were averaging just a shade under 20 points per game in conference play. Their lone <laughs> touchdown last week was a fake punt. But <laughs> The crazy thing about this game, too, is like the, the turnover battle was one to zero. Like usually when you see the formula of these games, like the, like the higher ranked team comes out sloppy, they start turning the ball over and give the home team life. No, no. South Carolina just came out there and put the hurt on them. There was no trickeration. It no was just ball. like, buddy. <laughs> I mean, just pure domination. It was. Remember the stat that I brought up before, South Carolina was 0-8 when allowing 28 points under Shane Beamer. And this was the type of game that had eluded them for so long. I mean, even throughout the Muschamp era. And – also, also remember, Gamecocks hadn't beat a top five team at home in a decade. Also, also, also remember that no unranked team had ever put up 63 points against a top five team. Ever. 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 All right. Nothing said this was coming. And I know Shane Beamer, you know, afterwards he's talking about, you know, how well the team responded during the week of practice. And, you know, he said that's been a staple of this group is that even when they have these dud showings, they come back and they're ready to go. And I think Beamer does, I think Beamer and that staff deserve a lot of credit for that. But if God whispered in my ear, hey, Connor, I should, let me, let me lower it a little bit. Hey, Connor, uh, South Carolina, um, they're going to put up 63 points. They're going to take Tennessee to the woodshed. I would have laughed God out of the room. That's your like, what is it like Apostle Peter moment where it's like, go in the podcast and say South Carolina is going to put up 63. And you're like, no, Lord, no, <laughs> I cannot. I don't care what kind of, I, I don't care if we're, we're speaking in tongues right now. All right. We, we can't, we can't say this on public airwaves. All right. I can't leave myself out to dry like that. My goodness. I mean, it, you said you texted me that it felt like Marcus Satterfield walked into Shane Beamer's office and it, maybe Shane Beamer had a certain indeed up on his computer. He's <laughs> like, Hey buddy, you got one game to figure this out. And buddy, did he figure it out? I he think did. he probably saved his job. Honestly, 
I mean, did he? Maybe? I, I, I really don't know. I don't know if the hay is already in the barn with that. It might already be. Um, and maybe it'll. Well, here's the deal. They have one more game, Connor. They do. Against Clemson University. Yes, it is. So he the path is there for him to like get it together at the end of the year. Yes. I mean, it's wild to think about that. I mean, they did so many things offensively that we've been waiting on all year. Jaheim Bell catches a touchdown pass. First touchdown catch of the year for Mm -hmm. him. Josh Van targeted downfield. One of the best returning deep threats in the SEC actually gets a target downfield. Crazy concept. DK Joyner was actually used appropriately in these versatile sets that he can run and throw out of. And he looked darn good. What are, mm-hmm. I mean, like what, what, what went into Marcus Satterfield's game plan for this one? That just clearly was not there in weeks past. And look, I'm not sitting here saying that, this was always their potential and they should have been doing this on a weekly basis because that's not the case. That's just not the case. Okay. Mm-hmm. But at the same time to see everything work out so well, where Rattler is, is being able to work through progressions and he's just mm-hmm. in a Steven Garcia like zone. Mm-hmm. I mean, like there's just so much, mojo that you have to get early on to get that kind of confidence for the wheels not to fall off and that's what i give south carolina so much credit for because if you're watching this game you're thinking well you know surely tennessee's going to come back and you know chris wright uh my editor at sds is, is talking to me he's like i don't think this result is going to hold but if it does you know be prepared to write yeah about you know some stuff related to, to tennessee specifically and why this was such a blown opportunity and i'm like yeah you know i don't really think it's going to hold it's an unbelievable first quarter but yeah certainly Tennessee's gonna claw back number one offense in the country and then South Carolina just said no we're gonna go faster we're gonna go faster we're gonna still execute and we're just gonna play a perfect game and Mm -hmm. good luck dealing with that and darn it they did it's amazing I'll I'll say too talking about that in a way that this is slightly different than those big 10 upsets one thing that we talked about in this pod before is you know with recruiting, we've said it, it shows itself on defense. And the way that Hypo and Tennessee have been able to put themselves on the map is obviously on offense. But with South Carolina, they have these South Carolina SWAT monsters. And we've been talking about them every single week. And we're just like South Carolina fans have been so frustrated. Like, get Jaheim Bell the ball. Get Jordan the ball. When Marshawn Lloyd was healthy, get him the ball. Wasn't even they out had, there. Didn't no, matter. he wasn't even out there. Exactly. And But, like, point being, like, they've had, again, four or five guys that you're like, no, no, these guys, like, could be great SEC players if they get the ball. And suddenly that's what clicked. It was like, oh, our game plan is to get the ball to these Swamp Monsters in space against this Tennessee defense that is not that talented, has guys missing, guys suspended, guys where well, they weren't a good unit kind of to start with. And it's like, oh, they're like completely outmatched. They can't tackle these guys. They can't catch these guys. They can't run with these guys. And like, you're right. I don't think this is like a a snap to reality. I don't. I don't think they're going to score 63 every week, but I think schematically that's what we saw here. You know, Gene Bell had 17 carries. They put the ball in his hands and made him beat guys. And Tennessee just truly didn't have the dudes to stop these South Carolina Swamp Monsters. It was, uh, it was one of those situations in which. There, there was nothing that South Carolina did that just wouldn't work. I mean, even mm-hmm. at the end where Juice Wells, who just played out of his mind, rather mm-hmm. throws his ball up to him one-on-one. It was almost it was like a heat check. You know those moments when Curry crosses half court? Oh, yeah. And and, and he's he's shooting from the logo when he's he's in the midst of a 50-point night. You're just like, come on, this is this is silly. And 
Juice Wells goes up for this ball in which he skies. I mean, the elevation mm-hmm. that he gets on this ball in one-on-one coverage, just like they haven't completed passes like that all year. Maybe they, they completed a few of them against Arkansas, but those have been so few and far between for this offense. And it took every single level in that offensive line deserves a lot of credit because I mean, Rattler was getting great protection and even he was like working the pocket and maneuvering the pocket <laughs> in a way that he hasn't all year. You're just like, who is this guy? Who is Wills this? Wills is a good one. I, I meant to shoot him out or shout him out. It was like a portal from the 20 to the 20. Like he didn't score any touchdowns, obviously, but it was like, okay, South Carolina needs to respond and Wells, 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 177 receiving <laughs> Couldn't be stopped. Could not be stopped. Spencer Rattler had... Five touchdowns against SEC competition coming into this one. Five passing touchdowns. He had six in this game. Setting the South Carolina single game record. This, like, I hate to say it, like, this is not, like, people did the vintage D-Rose stuff for, like, 10 years. This is the Spencer Rattler we literally signed up for in one game. It was like, oh, my gosh, this is the guy from Oklahoma. (laughs) Do you think Anthony Triash watched this game and just had a puddle of drool sitting at his feet watching this <laughs> because look there there were there were moments in this game in which you see this arm strength and you see everything that that has been that has been said positively about Spencer Rattler since he was on QB1 in mm-hmm. in Netflix i mean and the thing that because this this was shades of of 2010 Steven Garcia right like mm-hmm. this this was very much a performance in which you're like oh my god this guy cannot miss suddenly. And and mm-hmm. you, you're, you're just trying to come up with rationale as to why this was able to work. Because if you recall, Garcia had a brutal game prior to the 2010 Alabama game. And it wasn't even a certainty early in the week that he was going to be starting. And mm-hmm. then Rattler, I, I could have argued, probably would have been benched at most Power 5 schools with the way that things have played out. Think about that. And this is what we talked about with him and why he needed the change of scenery and why it was going to be important to see how he bounced back from those crap moments of which Mm -hmm. let's be honest, he had a lot. And most recently a dud against Florida, which was easily the worst game that he played all year. And to see the fact that he was finally able to be the best version of himself. And finally South Carolina was rewarded for this move that that took a lot of patience not to want to change to Luke Doty because mm-hmm. I, I made the case for him. I said, turn the page to next year. This is going to be a mutual parting of the ways. Maybe it still will be at season's end. Maybe this is the game that Spencer Radler is going to need for NFL draft evalu- evaluators to look at him. And His say, draft highlights are just going to be this game. You're not going to oh, see entirely. another jersey, but an orange one of those draft highlights they're playing in the background. Because even that Arkansas game, we saw the busting coverage. He's throwing in a big throwing window right. and stuff like that. Whereas this game, no, it was everything that you could possibly possibly do and you know i kind of wonder now if that changes his conversation with the nfl like one game can totally change how things play out especially when it's herb street and fowler on the call and beamer saying afterwards you know the last time i was uh, like i was at the same game as you was 2010 south carolina against you know against bama and, you know, I was, my, my guy Perry texted me. He's like, is Beaver lying about that? Because that was definitely a 330 on CBS game and Herb Street and Fowler uh, weren't on the call. But they might have been college game day or something like that. But whatever the case, yeah. tons of eyeballs on this game watching Spencer Rattler just ball out of his mind. And he did. And South Carolina deserves credit for giving him 
a lot of patience, maybe more than some were comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And it it paid off in a big way. It was just a massive momentum shifting win for Beamer. And I know there are some South Carolina fans who have kind of grown upset with the or upset's not the right word. They've grown tired with some of the post-game celebration. Act like you've been there before. That, mm-hmm. And we talked about how genuine it kind of comes across. He's got his family there. Herb Street even said it on the broadcast in the middle of the third quarter, fourth quarter. You could you could already picture what the post game is going to look like with Beamer with his family there. And yep. his side. Shout out Holly Rowe for somehow finding Beamer in that sea <laughs> of people. It's like, and, where's Waldo trying to find Beamer? Because oh they're all God. wearing the same color. Yeah, exactly. Beamer's not like a physically imposing guy. He just kind of looks like everybody else, of course. Mm-hmm. But man, I... I he deserved to soak in that win. And you could tell he was when the fans are behind him ch- chaining Beamer ball, Beamer ball. Oh, that was like a scene from a movie. It was cool. It, it just such a herky jerky season for, for South Carolina, but man, they were, they, they were blessed on Saturday night. That's the only way to say it. They were blessed. Simple mm-hmm. as that. Um, Let's, we got to talk about the Tennessee side of this. Yeah. Balls blew it. Yeah. Balls blew it. It's it's as simple as that. Don't blame officials. Don't blame Hooker's injury. I'll get to that in a sec, by the way. Don't blame the weird Jeremy Banks absence in this one where he was uh, not available, but he was dressed. I, I, I don't know. They had a chance to win two games against bottom half SEC teams and potentially set up that Georgia rematch in the playoff without having to play in an SEC championship. And they blew it. Mm-hmm. I wrote for SDS why it doesn't feel like 98. It feels like a reminder that winning in this sport at the level that Tennessee is aspiring to win at is incredibly hard. And mm-hmm. I say that despite how easy Alabama has made it look for the last 12, 14 years, and more recently, Georgia, who has just made winning regular season games look like, oh, just wake up and do it, even though they kind of had to grind through things at Kentucky. Add in the um, the 2019 LSU as well for a team that made it look mm-hmm. easy. Rest in peace, those comps. They died. Oh, well, you know, the, what a good one, though, is 2018 LSU. I was just thinking about this. You know, people like to pretend like that team came out of nowhere. They won a New Year's Six Bowl the year before that. And that just goes to your exact point that you don't come out of nowhere. You don't go from being a good team to a great team. You go from a good team to a very good team to a great team. And so I I will say this very quickly. This is still a very impressive season out of Tennessee. Lots of people are dumping on Tennessee. Lots of fans of teams with way worse records than Tennessee are dumping on Tennessee right now. Tennessee is not dead. Josh Heupel is still their coach. It's just not how the sport works. I mean, other than a TCU who gets to beat up on nobody in the Big 12, you just don't get to go through the SEC undefeated in year two of a new head coach. Twenty. Okay, so the the examples and what and what a Tennessee fan probably and and look, we we were sipping the orange Kool Aid as well for sure. Oh yeah. Two thousand seven Bama. The next year, year two is Saban. Obviously, mm-hmm. they take that next step. They go to an SEC championship. They lose to Florida. We we see that year two step after a very subpar year one Louisiana Monroe. Year two, Kirby Smart. After mm-hmm. a seven win regular season, they get the eighth win in the bowl game, go to a national championship. Mm-hmm. This year two rise that we have seen from certain programs. If I'm a Tennessee fan, I was telling myself all year, oh, Hypo is doing that. That, that, mm-hmm. that is that is the exact type of, of year one to year two. Everything's coming together. We kind of have our guys to be able to execute this system. This is exactly the way that we drew it up. And what we're reminded of is it is 
the very, very small minority of college football programs that can take that next step and can truly handle everybody's best shot on a weekly basis and truly handle being a top five team. You even see Jalen Hyatt going on the Rich Eisen show and he's he's kind of talking that smack and you're just like, man, you got to act like you've been there before because when you're the program that's only beat one AP top five team in the last 17 years and you're the program mm-hmm. that's only beat one top 10 team in the last decade plus – you have to act like you've been there before. Mm-hmm. And Tennessee, in my opinion, this wasn't anything other than lacking preparation and execution. That, that's a boring way to sum up a loss, mm-hmm. but they were one step behind defensively all night, all yep. night. They couldn't really get pressure on Radler. Instead of sending a message on that first series, they let Radler really settle into that game. And as it turned out, he did have that level in him and he picked them apart. I mean, they just had guys getting way too much space off the line of scrimmage too. I, I was surprised that Tennessee was doing that where like they would just have guys 10 yards, you know, b- b- like giving him a 10 yard cushion, right? There's just mm-hmm. like, Oh, I'll take this eight yards all day and no problem. We'll just keep driving. We're going to get in rhythm. And that was just not an issue whatsoever. I thought Tennessee did not send enough pressure I, I thought, you know, they, they waited way too long with some of these delayed blitzes that worked out a little bit later with Beasley. But what Tennessee found out more than anything else is just how hard it is to get out of that kind of atmosphere alive when you're mm-hmm. a top five team. Because that place, man, once they drowned out Rocky Top in the intro and they get Sandstone going, yeah, that might have been... <laughs> That might have been the first sign that this was going to be a long night. And Tennessee fans, they travel well. They did whatever they could to possibly make that a subdued atmosphere. Mm -mm. Nope. That was second to none. That place was rocking. I mean, even when you hear the sideline report and, 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 you know, Holly Rose trying to, trying to talk and, and more times than not, you can actually feel like, all right, she, she's somewhat composed. You, you hear what she's saying. Even it felt like she was shouting in these moments just to be able to get a word in. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I mean, I, it's just different when you're the top five team with everything to lose and you can't put forth that kind of effort and expect to win championship level teams. They can make adjustments instead of looking like the entire game is being played on their heels. Really, really disappointing. Just no other way to say it. Just a dud, absolute dud from Tennessee and one that I did not think that they had in them. Yeah. I think, you know, um, (laughs) another great Steve Spurrier quote, (laughs) we fooled you. (laughs) Yeah. But I think, you know, this isn't this is the autopsy after you know the surprise incident. You know, nobody in America, like we talked about talking to Brad and those guys online, even the South Carolina fans did not see this coming. No, but all. so what we're doing here is we're posthumously trying to figure out what happened to Tennessee. So not gonna say like, of course, we saw this coming, but we're you know, we're connecting these dots to your point. It's like it's a team that has played a little bit differently on the road, not at LSU. I understand they whooped LSU on the road, I get it, but you know, that just goes to show home field matters so much in the sec talking about south carolina team that and like i said we were joking last week about like i feel kind of frisky i want to pick south carolina against florida they go into the swamp and just get dominated get dominated you see florida go on the road to vanderbilt and lose and then you see tennessee you know go on the road to that same south carolina team and also get property transitive property is dead in college football. <laughs> oh yeah totally dead yeah. don't even try and use it yeah oh no no no, no. I'm, I'm talking about home and away i'm just talking about home and away oh, i'm yeah, talking yeah. about our teams look different at home in the road and you, you talked about you know tennessee dropped that video of the guy playing the banjo and the tennessee guy dancing and sandstorms playing from the banjo and it's like yeah i mean i i 
I hate to like I, Beamer's like the type of guy that I buy into. I hate it. Maybe it's maybe I maybe I'm a maybe I'm a goof and next year I'll look dumb. But we were on the train early and you see the stuff that he's overcome, you know, with playing Zabuli at quarterback and the way that he fought to, you know, the Mayo Bowl last year, which was a massive victory. We talked about going into this year, how they were what were they underdogs in eight games this year? Something like that. It was a lot. It was definitely it was the majority lot. of the games. Yeah. yeah, it was like you will need to win several upsets to make a bowl game. Now they're sitting here, one of the most impressive seven and fours in the country, simply because those upsets have come at great times for them. They've been at, and you know, you talk about AM is kind of falling off a cliff. I get it, but you got to think about the games in the moment. And it's like when they need to answer that call against Kentucky, against AM, now against Tennessee. And if you want to call all those teams frauds, I guess you can, but I would count. With I mean, South Carolina had one of the worst rosters in the SEC. They had a literal dude who just like me playing quarterback from North Dakota last year. And now they got Spencer Rattler. They got Bell. They got all these dudes. And it's like, you just got to tip your hat to them. And it's, I, I hate to do the Disney thing again, but it's just like, this is a cool story. It's if you're, if you're hating what South Carolina is doing at this exact moment, give them some runway. I'm sure they'll do something embarrassing, but right now this is super freaking cool. And I don't know how you aren't happy for Beamer looking around going, man, I love this place. Like I want to be here forever. It's fire. Honestly. It is. It absolutely is. And the, the the joy that comes from the South Carolina side. Yes, I picked that word on purpose because <laughs> Beamer was talking about finding some joy. They took some, mm-hmm. some some heat for those comments. And there was no joy to be had on that Tennessee sideline. And, you know, this offense, number one offense in the country, they, they needed help on that night. And they did not get it because I, I thought the offense looked just off, a little bit off. And, and the numbers mm-hmm. aren't really going to reflect that. They, they aren't. But if you were just watching that game – even the throws over the middle that Hooker makes in his sleep were not there. And it felt oh, yeah. a little bit like George all over again with those deep shots not being there. And he was just kind of off. And even the TD pass to, to Brew McCoy, it was tipped at the line of scrimmage. I mean, <laughs> it, it was that kind of the, the throw that he had um, on fourth down to uh, to Tillman, the fade where he picked on Cam Smith of all people and made that play happen was like the most, like the best high degree of difficulty NFL throw of the night. But mm-hmm. speaking of Cam Smith, excellent move on their part to say, hey, we know that he has very rarely covered the slot. 19.7% of his snaps were against the slot this year. We talked about that coming mm-hmm. into this one. Mm-hmm. But we're just going to let him basically shadow Jalen Hyatt the entire time. Jalen mm-hmm. Hyatt's on the field. We're going to have him covering him. And I thought that was a move that really paid off because while mm-hmm. you could look at the box score and I was kind of going back and forth with Adam Spencer a little bit about this. You can kind of look at the box score and look at the way that, you know, he's still getting his targets and he's still getting involved, but it felt like Hyatt really had to work for it. And those mm-hmm. deep, those deep shots were not there for him. And that's because Cam Smith is really good. And Hooker was a little off. And the combination of those two things took away their best, most consistent offense that, that we've seen throughout the year. And I I mean, I, I think that that just kind of speaks to the frustration of what Tennessee went through. And seeing Hooker go down, it sucked. It did. Mm-hmm. He he runs with this sort of herky-jerky style where his legs are oddly straight. So I don't know about you. Watching him, I'm always waiting for him to get up slowly. I don't know that mm-hmm. there's something about it that just feels like he's going to get hurt or he's going to have some sort of leg injury. I, I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. Do you he runs that? a bit like Jameis. You know, when Jameis in the NFL, when Jameis would kind of take like take off and his arms would start moving and everything, he's way more, he's more mobile than Jameis, but he's slow. Like, he's not like he's some dynamic, we've talked about it before. So yeah, sometimes it's like he's doing some extra stuff to kind of create that separation. Yeah. Sometimes it can get, yeah. 
Yeah, it was just it was just weird, and it, it sucked that it happened on that play the way that it did. It, it felt, and it's not an exact comp, but it, a little bit Matt Corral ish, the mm-hmm. way that it kind of ended like that. You're like, really? That's that's how it ends for this guy. I mean, that, that just it's such a bummer. And like Corral, I, I think Hooker was one of those great two year starters who who set the standard for the high powered offense that their coach runs, and all mm-hmm. future quarterbacks are going to be compared to him. I, I don't think we'll see Hooker be a round one or a round two guy because of the scheme, the fact mm-hmm. that he's going to be 25 going through the pre draft process. But I do just naturally find myself rooting for him knowing his story knowing what he he Mm -hmm. persevered through and i i thought it was just a a bummer to see things pan out the way that it did for him i don't think hooker in this offense should be taken for granted i don't here's the good news for tennessee fans we we, we need a spin zone for him they they need it right now badly if i had told any tennessee fan in august hey you're gonna be nine and two with wins against florida wins uh win against alabama college game day is going to be in the house for both of those all right. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a Heisman contender at quarterback. They would have, if I told them all those things, they would have said, really? Sign me <laughs> up. Let's go. That's great. And this kind of falls in line with the, I had Tennessee projected at nine and three in the preseason. I felt like I was as high on, on the balls as, as anybody. And we'll, we'll wait, we'll wait to talk about Vandy and the way that that could play out. But 10 and two and going to a new year's six bowl, potentially, and having a chance for an 11 win season in year two of the Josh Heupel era. We'll wait and see kind of the way that this plays out. As of this recording, we don't know the significance of Hooker's injury. It did not look good, of course. The non contact always makes you kind of worry. But man, I just, I, I find myself looking at this offense and thinking that Josh Heupel is going to crush the transfer portal. I think that seeing the way that it played out with Hooker and Brew McCoy, remember that's a key part of this. Somebody who is immensely talented as the former five-star who transfers and then just instantly brings a key presence to that receiver room. We know that NIL is set up well at Tennessee. <laughs> the NIL and the recruiting stuff is, is not going to be an issue there. So you're going to have top-notch talent coming through that door. But yeah, it couldn't have been a worse day for Tennessee fans. And it couldn't have been a better day for South Carolina fans. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I want to say real quick, if there was one thing that we were right about, it was exactly that DB matchup and the fact that, like we said it in the pregame, it's like, well, Tennessee has three good receivers. Tennessee, or sorry, Tennessee has three good receivers. South Carolina has two good DBs. And it, it's like they picked their poison and chose to shut down Hyatt. I think that was a really smart move by them. Tillman eight. Tillman's a beast. He's going to be a great player on Sundays. But two of those three guys does not get going. And that was kind of the difference in this game. And other ones is that all you have is Tillman. It's not enough. Um, Going to your point, yeah, I think – um, I, I think this has been still a great season for Tennessee. And I know that this is a sad way to end it. Um, and it's not over yet. Obviously, things could happen from here that could change that, obviously. Um, but I think that, you know, it goes to, you know, you talk about those two examples with Alabama and Georgia. Well, you know, Nick Saban's Nick Saban at the end of the day. Like Nick Saban's done a lot of things that no one has ever done before. And I think with Kirby, you know, there were not as many cobwebs to shake off there. Mark Rick was a great coach. He obviously wanted my he was the last good Miami coach, too. And so like yeah, they had a struggling season. Kirby was a first-time head coach, but there weren't as many cobwebs to shake off. You talk about beating Alabama for the first time in 15 years. That's something that didn't feel exactly like a fluke. That's something to hang your hat on. You know what I'm saying? So that's great. And to your point about Hooker, very, very sad that he's a guy. We've been hen dogs, and I hope we get to watch him play again. I understand if he decides to kind of check out, given his age and you know the the resume he's put together, he's done enough to get drafted. Um, although I will say there was a spin zone, and we'll talk about this in a week. Um, heard a great nickname, Connor, Joe Milton bazooka joe that's good that's good where'd you get that from that was just on tennessee twitter i was hanging out there last night but (laughs) but we get to see bazooka joe versus a hot vandy team which could be a sneaky fun game anyway 
Joe Milton's going to be the starter next year, probably too. Oh yeah. And he's looked a little bit better. I'm he's no, like we credit. joke about him. And the reason why we joke about him is because he's so strong. It's the fact that he has Herculean arm strength. He's looked better as the years go. Let's be honest. That touchdown pass that he had was the one, was it to scroll white? Uh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I'm blanking on, on who it was too, but the, where he's just drifting kind of to his left. He's just, 60 yards downfield like it's nothing you're talking about last game yeah i'm talking about no i'm talking about this game i'm talking about this. oh sorry yeah he had one like that last yeah it's just i want to see more of him anyway i do find myself back on the joe milton train oh no me too so there's your spin zone tennessee fans and south carolina fans soak that one in and who knows what that means going into the clemson game but man what a what a stunning result it was on saturday night in columbia all right georgia goes into kentucky and shows us that style points are overrated. <laughs> they are. Uh, Just pretend want... there was some snow selectors of the committee. Just put mentally put a little snow globe on there. It was cold. It was windy. It was. It really was. And you know uh, they're on the road. To... Come on, yeah. home and away. Yeah. Look, and everybody, everybody in the top five struggled. So that's the good news. If you're Georgia, is that you <laughs> looked. I mean, you looked at what tenant. You looked at what TCU did, Ohio State and Michigan, and they're all in these dog fights. So there was no shame in the way that that played out. And if you're all of a sudden off the Georgia train because of that, because they only won that game by ten, I'd be like, all right, let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. Obviously, if you're a Georgia fan, you want your team to be playing its best football down the stretch. But you know what else you want? <laughs> you want to be undefeated. It's- yeah. <laughs> Especially on a weekend in which every top five team was involved in a game that was within single digits in the second half. And that includes mm-hmm. Georgia, by the way, because this was nine nothing at half. And this was just a, a weird game. That's what it, sometimes sometimes you look up and you say, Well, we're seeing cracks in the foundation. I didn't necessarily see that with Georgia. I no. saw a team that got three first half possessions. Kirby in the halftime interview with Jenny Dell is talking about. Yeah, no, we just we it's not that we're not executing an offense. What do we get? Like four possessions? No, <laughs> actually only got three. And mm-hmm. they just had three field goals. And sometimes that's the way that it goes. You march downfield, and that's the type of stuff that happens. And if you don't play this up-tempo offense, yeah, you look up and you have a nine-to-nothing lead at halftime. They only scored the one touchdown in the game. First pass to a tight end that was caught was with two minutes left in the first half. Mm-hmm. I mean, meanwhile, Kentucky Looks like he was about to get blown out at one point. And then you're like, oh, wait, this kick wouldn't make it a one-score game. But because K- Kentucky just cannot kick field goals to save its life. That Guys who deserve happen. better, the entire Kentucky defense. This is a good oh, defense, man. They, they are. You know what? And they, they got some goal line stands in this game, too. And that, that spot where Georgia's trying to just, you know, have the kill shot. And, and instead of making it a three-position game and Kentucky gets the goal line stand, you're like, man, they're they're still playing hard. And they're playing hard the, despite the fact that they don't have Jacquez Jones. They don't have DeAndre Square. And this has not been the year that Kentucky was hoping for. But if you want to say something positive about Mark Stoops amidst a very frustrating stretch for his program, that defense still plays hard. Still plays yeah. very, very hard. in a game against Georgia in which they clearly did not have that level of talent, they looked pretty good in my opinion. Um, I was surprised that Levis was actually pretty well protected in this one. It was yeah. not so, not something I saw at, at all with how much the big blue gate has struggled this year. Didn't seem like Georgia wanted to send extra pressure. And surprisingly, Kentucky held up pretty well against that. They had some downfield shots to Barry and Brown, who was tremendous. He is going to be a problem in this league. No doubt about that. True freshman has some of these moments. He and Dane key, you know, as long as they stay in Lexington, which 
never take anything for granted. And I think this first week of December with all the guys who enter the portal is going to make a lot of fan bases go, oh my God, our team is falling apart. Just mm-hmm. be ready for that. And I'm not saying Dan Key and, and Barry and Brown are about to enter the transfer portal. I think Barry and Brown was even talking about an IG live afterwards. He was asked if he was going to be transferring. He's like, no, I'm not. I love it here. I'm not going anywhere. That's love it when the guy way. directly takes that question. Don't delete your Instagram. Just answer people on Instagram. There you go. Yeah, you're don't, don't take all mentions of your current team off your Instagram in a game in <laughs> yeah. which you get one target or something like that. Just, just you know, just, just keep calm. It'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but seeing the way that Georgia's defense responded once again about somebody who is well respected at the from the NFL standpoint, right? Think about this: Hennon mm-hmm. Hooker, Bonix, Will Levis. Combined for one total touchdown responsible for against Georgia. Which right? was like Tennessee late, kind of when it was, yeah. Well, Levis had the touchdown, actually. Oh, and yeah, my bad, my bad. Hooker didn't even have, he led a touchdown drive, but, but in he terms didn't, of touchdown I got responsible you, yeah. for, mm-hmm. those three guys had had a total of two touchdown drives against Georgia's defense. That's bananas. Yeah. One offensive touchdown allowed by Georgia in each of the last three games which were against the likes of Hendon Hooker, Will Rogers, and Will Levis. That's good. And I find myself watching this Georgia defense, the way that guys like Lasseter are stepping up, and and you see the, the speed all over the place. And we talked about some of the horizontal stuff that Kentucky was going to try and do and how Georgia just limits that in such a very unique way, and they just always have that kind of snuffed out. I find myself wanting to see Georgia match up against Ohio State or USC, and I'm not dismissing LSU in the SEC championship. I want that on record. Not dismissing them. I want any good team match up with USC as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> you said like you said it's a good team, but that the way that that played out, there were not. I was begging for them to get one defensive stop for two hours last night. I will not hear that. <laughs> yeah, and then flipping over to the, of course, you know, me being the big Utah fan that I am now, uh, flipping over to Utah, Oregon, and the way that that game played out, where guys are just trading picks down the yeah. stretch. Like this is a different sport. I don't care. They're yeah. in the same conference they're playing for the same championship in a couple of weeks different sport that these two that these two games are are being played um but yeah I, I think georgia with the way that they have looked against respected quarterbacks this year mm-hmm. that that to me is just so unbelievably impressive regardless of how this season plays out and to think that they still haven't had a game in which they allowed more than what 22 points is that right yeah Penn um, state mizzou 22 points a piece that those teams had Again, who would have thought? Yeah, yeah. Of all of all things, twenty two both. Yeah, you nailed that. I mean, that's that's crazy, and, and I think it's been somewhat under under the radar. Just the quality of quarterback that they have been able to contain this year. And I know we've kind of backed off of. Oh my God, Will Levis has really taken the next step, and he's had his humbling moments this year. But for somebody that I look, whether you like him or not, I think there's a very good chance that he hears his name called in the first round of the NFL draft. I personally don't think he's worth that kind of a risk. I would have more comfort with taking him as more of like a second round guy that you mm-hmm. wait and see for a couple of years and let him kind of develop. But that's not the way that today's NFL works. So I don't even know if that's realistic, but Georgia's defense, man, just always comes ready to go. It does. I need yeah, takeaways see, watching this play out. That's why I've often said it's better to just simply not have a first round pick in the NFL draft. Um, anyway, I'm joking. You, you, always, Saints, you do always say that, one. of course. Yeah, you know, smart teams just simply don't have one. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I will just key in on one thing. You know, we talked about Jalen Carter being a menace and zero QB pressures. 
So honestly, great job for the big, the big wow. blue. They're starting to build a stoop, perhaps maybe not a wall, but they had <laughs> I, easily. I feel their best game. Georgia had one sack. Probably. I feel like yeah. that's pretty like considering Georgia just suffocated Tennessee. I feel like that's a pretty good game by them. So that's your takeaway. If you're Kentucky fan, at least you can get blown out. Your your line kind of figured it out a little bit. And hey, you just got to get the offense. You know, give maybe. Maybe their dude could just call back Marcus Satterfield and be like, show me the way. <laughs> yeah. And I, I still continue to bang the drum that if Will Levis actually had his full mobility, it wasn't working with the turf, the turf toe and the AC joint sprain. I think he'd be different as a runner because he was different as a runner last year down the stretch. And once he really figured that out, but yeah, even like the first time he scrambled in this game and he picked up a first down and he's really slow to get up and he, that dude's tough as nails. And if he's dealing with that kind of pain, then you know that he has some limitations. Of course, Kentucky fans a little bit upset with the lack of design runs for, from Rich Gangarello and the way that that's mm-hmm. played out earlier in the year. But yeah, um, another to your point. We saw his clubs. finger go sideways on national television. So we'll love his warrior. If nothing else, <laughs> like that True. dude's playing. That actually might be a pretty good point in that. He's kind of gotten worse as the year has gone. Maybe he's just getting more injured behind that offensive line. Actually probably is. I mean, that was like four injuries ago for him. Yeah. That's a fact. Like he's had a rib thing since yeah. then. I, I don't know. Yeah. Will Levis is just, uh, he's basically big Ben at this point with injury report. It's bad. It's real bad. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, your favorite game of the week. Come on now. Florida and Vandy. Vandy is the hottest team in America. Kind of. Okay, so true story. Broadcast of this game. Stinchcomb said something to the effect of, quote, nobody is playing harder than Vandy right now. And I rolled my eyes because I'm like, all right. It's a nice thing to say in the broadcast. Let's <laughs> right. let's pump the brakes here. You win one SEC game for the first time in a decade. Act like you've been there before. By the end of this game, I was like, yes, yes. Correct. Yeah, no notes. He knew exactly what he was talking about. I know the takeaway is, is, wow, what a setback for Florida year one, Billy Napier. But Vandy outrushed the Gators 175 to 45 in this game. That was a statement from them in the trenches. And if you tell me that Florida was the better team because it outgained Vandy 445 to 283, I would say you might be Dan Mullen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Step away. Key to the game. Florida turned the ball over deep in its own territory twice. Once was a weird tipped interception that was somehow caught. The other was Florida's horribly misplayed punt that Vandy's long snapper recovered in the end zone. Because if you don't have your long snapper recovering fumbles for touchdowns, what are you even doing? You know what's funny about this game, too, is I literally had a tweet that was like, death taxes, Florida losing 6-7 to Vandy in a game they will eventually win. That was a direct quote by me, because I've seen this exact game happen so many times. And then another familiar thing happened to me, a horrible SEC punt return. The, the like I was watching this game, like I said, on my phone, and the punt, I saw the angle he was taking like as the punt return was kind of arching his back, and I was like, this isn't going to go well. And it just kind of hit him in the hands and went backwards. It's in the end zone, and you're like, okay, well, the best case scenario here is a safety. And in that moment, you're kind of just like, like, Vandy might win this game. That's exactly what you need. When you're in that 6-7 game, you've been in a billion times. Because Florida is, you know, 30-1 and one in their last 31. Well, before this game, they were. It's like they always find a way to, like, kind of claw back from that. those early. Like, they're always sleepy in this game. It's like we talked about. It's cold. It's Nashville. That punt return, or lack thereof, was like, uh-oh. Oh, uh, it was bad. That was real bad. Florida's potential status, and Will, you trolled me for this on uh, during, during this game on Saturday. Yes. Their status as the potential ultimate good vibes team in college football this offseason, it's off the table. I'm, <laughs> I'm taking them off the list of nominees. They, they are not in the running. You cannot lose to Vandy and retain such a thing. Horrible game plan from Billy Napier. Just 
awful. I know we don't judge year one coaches. We can judge a game plan. That game plan sucked, man. Like, there's no we there, but <laughs> you could not judge first year. I know. I, I made this personal vow to myself because of all the, the high profile jobs that were going to be heavily scrutinized year one. I, I know mm-hmm. that game plan was terrible, and Florida fans know it. They do. You mm-hmm. can be the biggest Napier apologist and say that that was baffling. Why they did not lean on that ground game more after the mm-hmm. momentum that they've been building there was so frustrating to watch. There's no game. And I, unless he unless he was injured, I, I just didn't know about it. Trevor Etienne only gets four carries. Yep. Four carries for nine yards in this game. Even Montreal Johnson is barely given double-digit carries. It, Florida would run on third and eight. And you're thinking they would send the broadcast. Oh, you know, they, you run a play like that to set up a potential fourth down attempt. And then they would attempt a long field goal. You're like, what? You have Anthony Richardson playing the best football of his career. And you're not going to put the ball in his hands in, in, in this spot. Like what, what is going on? It was just a, mm-hmm. a weird sloppy, totally undisciplined game plan from Florida. Florida trailed for the final 40 minutes and 50 seconds to Vandy. Let that yeah. sink in. That's that's bad, man. That's that's not being prepared. That's not executing. Don't tell me it was just because of the Ventral Miller targeting injection and all that stuff. Like they were they were struggling well before that. All right. Um, mm-hmm. Say take say that what you will, but man, just a terrible, terrible, could not see that coming type of day from Billy Napier. And look, we we will we'll we'll, we'll probably disagree on the long term potential of what I think Billy Napier is. Cause I don't think this necessarily is like some sign that they're going to be doomed for failure, but that was I don't think they're doomed a... for failure. I just think it's very, very funny. I want to be clear about that. Go ahead. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> saw a couple of good spins in this one. Uh, saw a lot of the refs wanted Vandy to win. That one's funny in all kinds of weather tweeted, this win was actually good. I knew I was going to see a, this win is actually good from that fan base because they were like, well, you see as a recruiter, all you have to do is go into a guy's home, put on the tape of that and say, you could start here. Fine. The issue with this, I think from the beginning is that we need to be real and honest about this Florida team. And I think the issue with Florida over the last 10 years, and we've talked about it is that their highs have been super duper high. And so we've seen that they have the ability to be this program. And I remember when both jobs were up like before this one, and I was like, you know, I do think Florida's a little bit better of a job than LSU. Things, things have changed since then. Um, I think there's been enough years of this. Um, there was kind of what's going on. Um, but but the thing that I want to stress here is that something that I've noticed in college football, and I'm going to talk about Miami right now, because we can all dump on Miami without blaming anyone. Miami fans, whenever they fired Manny, were like, okay, well, everything was Manny's fault. This is easy. We got to get Manny out of here. Once we get Manny out of here, it's whatever, okay? We don't do a good enough job giving coaches credit for the things they did well. So when you think about, you know, this has only happened twice in the history of Florida football, that Florida has lost to Kentucky, Tennessee, and Vandy in the same season. The other time was in 1955. That was the Dwight Eisenhower administration. There it is. Yes. Who is president in 1955 is one of my tabs right now. Um, So I just want to say, like, you have to be real about exactly where you're at. And that's why I got on you about the good vibes thing is I don't necessarily blame Florida fans. I think that Florida fans aren't real about it, but it's because they've been allowed to exist in this ethos where they're a little bit better than they actually are. And they, you know, you string together almost beating Tennessee, hanging with these okay teams, beating Utah, which feels like it happened in the Twilight Zone somehow. And you know, that was a real thing that happened. And when that happened, I was like, you know, maybe we're a little bit wrong. 
everything since then has kind of gone one way. So when I say you got to pick a story about a team, okay, this is not 2016 with Kirby Smart, where, you know, we talked about that previously. It's not 2007 with Nick Saban in the first year. This is the transfer portal error, okay? So you have Josh Heupel. You have Shane Beamer. You have Brian Kelly in your conference going in and fixing some of these issues. So we either need to say, Florida has this horrible roster, and it's unfair to ask them to compete because I saw people saying, oh, well, once we get recruiting figured out, we'll win this game. My brother, if you need to have a decided talent advantage to beat Vanderbilt University, you do not have it figured out. I'm here to tell you right now. If you need to go into that game and think, oh, well, we have four and five stars, so we should win this game. No, no. You should be better at Vanderbilt University at everything. That is basically an Ivy League school. So that's all I'm going with that is that we have to be in the middle. We can't be doom and gloom. We can't be, oh my gosh, Florida is the good vibes team. They're going to figure it out. Both elements are present in this team, and it makes it the most fascinating team in the SEC. Because you could tell me Florida is, I'm not going to say 10-2, and two, but maybe like a respectable 9-3 and three next year. You could tell me this exact same thing happens again next year, and either way I would believe you. And let me tell you why. Vanderbilt, to your point, dominated that game. Okay, There was not a point... When Vanderbilt got up two scores, I thought Florida could win that game because they have an offense from a conference that is not the SEC. You could fill in whatever conference you want to. I won't. But you watch this offense move the ball down the field five yards at a time. Dink and dunk to your point about, okay, this offense is set up to go forward and fourth down. That's why you get four and five yards at a time, okay? Because it's fourth and one. So you get that fourth and one, and you just keep getting four and five yards at a time. But when you have something go wrong, you look and you go, well, if Anthony Richardson doesn't hit a wide open guy who's running downfield, this offense literally cannot come from behind because they are this dink and dunk team and they're not running the football. So the whole point of running that that scheme is to run the football, do play action, go forward and fourth down. They did none of that today. To your point about their best running back is probably ETN. You found this guy. This is one of your guys. There's not these Dan Mullen bad apples that lost all these games. Put him in. Use him. So that's my only takeaway with that is just that like, you got to be real with where you're at. You got to be real with your team. And I think that this was actually a great measuring stick here because coming off that South Carolina team, they were not that good. They're not that good enough to beat South Carolina that bad. Are they bad enough to lose to Vandy like this again? I don't think so. I picked them to win. I joked about it. I thought I was, I, I planned my day to not watch this game. Okay. <laughs> so like, I'm not getting to sit here and tell you, I thought Vandy was going to beat Florida because I believe Florida was way better than Vandy schematically talent wise. So you need to pick whoever is listening to this, pick a story of what this Florida team is now that you've seen this many games and stick to it. Don't on one hand, tell me, okay, well, you know, Billy's turning everything around. We have all this staff. Everything's going to be totally different. Okay. Well then you should be able to scheme Vandy or out scheme Vandy. But if your if your answer is, okay, we're not talented enough to compete. So you shouldn't hand us like doing something bad for the second time since 1955 is okay because our roster is so bad that it's like, dude, you got like six months to figure that out. So pick one. That's my only point. I think the biggest area of concern was the fact that Florida coming off of its best win of the year, most uh, <laughs> not most impressive because obviously the Utah win. Oh yeah, most impressive. That Utah but- win I still think is the best. That was a very good win. Like I yeah. Okay, so what's the best way to phrase this? Their best all three phases win of the year. Fair. Okay. Most complete win of the Most year. Most complete win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that happens, and then to have this kind of response shows you 
okay, your coach is still figuring out how to manage those expectations. We praise mm-hmm. Napier coming into this year. At least I, I think one of the things working in his favor is the fact that he's kind of this even keeled guy and he's mm-hmm. from the Saban tree and he's learned from Dabo of how to build a program and, and, and kind of how to be this steady presence and to preach patience all the time. Mm-hmm. But in terms of managing expectations, you had a team that should have won that football game and should have been able to continue on this trajectory that they've been on the last couple of weeks and instead, you run into, oh, well, our defensive line doesn't really look like it can get off a block. And we can't mm-hmm. stop this Vandy ground game. And we, a week removed from looking like we were world beaters, are in this place. And I think that's what South Carolina, or rather Florida, is trying to still work through. And Billy Napier has struggled with leaning into who this team really is, which is what we've been talking about for a while is they shouldn't mm-hmm. be throwing the ball probably more than 15 times. Now, when you're trailing for 40 minutes and 50 seconds, I realize game flow kind of gets away from you a little bit. You feel like you got to make that time up. I get that. But mm-hmm. Florida still feels like a team that has an identity that's sitting right there, and they're not mm-hmm. willing to really lean into it. And you see some of the lack of trust in those third down spots and why I think they have struggled. And they were like, what, four for 15 on third down in this game? That's that's rough. That's really rough. So all those things I think are are worth criticizing Florida for, and they have a steep uphill climb, in my opinion, year two to be a team that is truly respected and thought of as a potential threat in this division, especially with the way that Tennessee has taken that next step. Mm-hmm. So that's the Florida side. Mm-hmm. Can I shout out Vandy for a second here? Because Oh, yes, absolutely. First win against Florida in Nashville since 1988. The what administration will? Jimmy Carter? No, 1988. Come on. Oh, Jimmy, is that Reagan? That was Reagan. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Jimmy Carter was a classic one-term dude. In I was Oversight. about to say, look, if we're rewriting the history books based on Jimmy Carter this year. It wouldn't surprise <laughs> me. Clearly, Clark Lee knew what he was talking about when he said at SEC Media Days, we know in time Vanderbilt will be the best program in the country. Yeah. As stupid as it sounds. I've kind of been on Clark Lee this whole time. That was like, and I've like said it a couple of times, but it's like you have to live in such a dystopian reality to make players win at Vanderbilt. You need a guy like that who just doesn't see reality. That's just like, yeah, we're gonna beat Florida, whatever. Like we're the best team in America. I voted. I'm voting for us to be the to win the SEC this year. Love it. Definitely wasn't him that did that. I think we still have not gotten to the bottom of it. But yes. that person knew. That person was well aware yeah. of what we were gonna see. I mean, we popped the champagne months ago. For hitting the over on the regular season win total at two, look, I, or was it? It was it was two and two and a half. half. Yeah, yeah, two and a half. So they hit the over on that. I mean, to think that they have won two SEC games, consecutive SEC games, first time since mm-hmm. 2018. Of course, man, he's building up. He is, and, and I find myself really liking the way that they block. I like, you know, Ray Davis is is kind of forming this nice little duo with Mike Wright. If Tennessee doesn't show up like it cares about football next week. I'm just saying, Thor's got that bull eligibility on the line. Just like that. You know what's really chaotic? If you look at these two teams, SEC wins, right? So Florida got lucky enough to play the three worst teams in the SEC. And now they have gone one and two or two and one in those games because they played AM with half of their roster. So if you look at Vandy's SEC wins, they have beaten Kentucky and Florida. And if you look at Florida's SEC wins, they beat AM mizzou and south carolina and it's like you know if you kind of take that AM win out of there because they are horrible and all had the flu it's like man these wins are kind of almost better 
Will, here's the question we need to be asking. Does Vandy have a chance to be the ultimate good vibes team in college football this offseason? If they beat Tennessee. I think Clark Lee is allergic to good You're smiling over there? (laughs) Is is that a name and a number on your jersey? What did I tell you to do? I didn't tell you to do that. Get that off You guys on Insta-Snap in the locker room? Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying, Vandy's playing playing good football. They finally look like an SEC team in the trenches, and that's always been what's what's holding this team back. And meanwhile, Florida, yeah, this is a very, very tough, tough setback. And if you tell yourself, well, Kirby Smart did this in year one, that is lose to Vandy. Um, It's not so generous. Do not kid yourself. It literally, this is a completely different sport than that was. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, another surprising game in the SEC on just a weird, weird uh, cake week. I almost said cupcake week. It was no, cake. no. This was this was like one of those like is it cake things where you cut into the cake and it's yep. like a protein bar. It's like this was a very filling cake. Um, it was. I will say really quick. Shout out to the Brian Kelly coaching tree, Clark Lee. Good point, Mike Elko. How about Mike it? Elko as well? Wow, coming up that Brian Kelly coaching tree, Marcus Freeman. In like three years, that coaching tree has gone from a stump to like a beautiful redwood. Really? Who else am I forgetting here? Denbrock? Uh, still kind of counts as under the tree. Yeah. Yeah. He needs to. We'll we'll see. (laughs) We'll we'll punt on that one. All right. Ole Miss, Arkansas. Hogs are bowling, which is the good news for Sam Pittman, who is. (laughs) What happened? I didn't hear anything but a will laugh on that. I literally did not get one word of what you said. I'm sorry. I said this is our fourth game, and Arkansas blew the doors off of all this. And like oh, cupcake, we were cake week. This is an insane week of football. It was. It truly was. And this game, uh, if you just looked at the final score, you would say kind of similar to last year. You know, a little bit of a shootout was not the case though, because Arkansas yeah. led 42 to six in this game. Um, remember what we said coming into this one? Who wants to tackle more? Who wants to be there? Cold, Mm -hmm. really good running backs, up-tempo scheme. If you don't want to tackle, this is not the place to be on Saturday night. And Connor, I, have you seen the LeBron memes where it's like I actually knew that like this yeah. was going to happen? That's that was me when I saw Brian when I saw um, Sam Pittman running out through the smoke at Arkansas like stadium. I was like, oh, Sam Pittman came to play. He looks like a WWE wrestler. Changed the pick, yes, immediately. <laughs> Picked Ole Miss when this no no Arkansas. I, I will be on the record. I did not change the pick. I still thought Ole Miss, but yes. I don't want to. I don't want to give myself any credit here. But I was like, oh, he really loves this cold. He's built for the climate. <laughs> He's got that look in his eyes. Yes, this this felt like Sam Pittman weather, and uh, his team definitely played like it, at least for the majority of the game until the defense decided that everything was fine, and then they allowed two different guys to hit 200 yards. Oh, you know. Zach Evans and Quinchon Judkins both hit 200 yards in this game, um, which was wild. But obviously, when you fall behind 42-6 to six in your old Miss, that's not part of the plan when you have a ground-heavy attack. Sometimes you just kind of wonder about the mentality when you know the conditions are are going to not necessarily be peak SEC weather. Um, and I guess for for some, if you're Jake Moody, the Michigan kicker, who was talking about this isn't the SEC, you know, you got to be able oh uh, to make kicks. Like, Dude. You quote tweeted that and somebody was in your replies like, you were you were like, oh, he's 0-3 versus the SEC. He lost by like 100 points. And somebody was in your replies like, I don't see why that matters. It's like, buddy, okay, never mind. Because <laughs> you know what he's trying to say. He's trying to say like, oh, SEC weather is like it's softer, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. Like, right, yeah. well, you're, playing a, you're playing these teams on a neutral site and we've seen that play out. But yeah, yeah. Nobody, needs to, nobody needs to dig into that. Um, yeah, 
this was just a, a night of football that if you were running with a guy like Rocket Sanders, you were going to have success. You oh, just yeah. were. And the Arkansas offensive line, which we've criticized, they've looked pretty rough. I think the last couple of games, they looked much, much better in this one. Getting Rocket those running lanes was key and getting him to the second level, man. Like he was, he was on one unstoppable in the first half. He finishes the game with 232 rushing yards, most by an Arkansas running back since Darren McFadden. 2007. Oh, yeah. Yes. King. I'm glad we got out ahead of this and we aren't reacting to this now. And it took me until 12 weeks to make the connection that an Arkansas running back with the number five who breaks all these home run runs is just Darren McFadden 2.0. He's not Darren McFadden 2.0. I'm not saying that, mm-hmm. but Rocket's going to finish with really similar numbers to run DMC. He is. He what is, is a at- better nickname rocket or run DMC. True. Man, why do <laughs> why do Arkansas running? What was Felix Jones's nickname? Why am I blanking on that? What was Peyton Hillis's nickname? I was about to say they all had like they they all had one. I forgot all of them, but that one was good. Yeah. Peyton Hillis's nickname was just Madden later on. <laughs> yeah. Infamous. Mm-hmm. Uh Rocket's gonna finish the season with man, probably about sixteen hundred rushing yards. That's kind of the pace that he's at right now. He's at thirteen seventy nine with two games to play. Mm-hmm. He is going to maybe pass McFadden's sophomore season, which was Heisman Trophy worthy. And that's cr- And I know that McFadden also did stuff, you know, in addition to that and the return game and all that. But here's the crazy thing. Judkins mm-hmm. is actually still the SEC's leading rusher by four yards at this point because he had the monster second half in this one. 13, yeah. 1383. He's got 16 rushing touchdowns. Both of those guys, not draft eligible. Coming back. Uh, we'll wait and see. Again, I, I, I'm going to say this with everybody because I do think the transfer portal is going to be bananas the first week of December, and I don't want to assume anything. Mm-hmm. They should not only both be first-team All-SEC backs this year, but they should be two of the top three or four backs in all of college football coming back next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's, that's what we're talking about with how good those guys have looked at an early age and did not see that coming whatsoever, but they looked, I mean, they're just so hard to bring down. Why would you want to tackle them on a day like this? <laughs> Why? I when was the last time we saw a game with three 200 yard rush? It's <laughs> a great question. Will. It's a great I don't, question. I literally do not. I'm sure there is one. I just don't remember three 200 yard rushers. Also, how about the fact that each of those three running backs average more yards per carry than both quarterbacks did per pass? Yes. That is, that you have your high, like your most efficient choice is like running back number two, then running back number three, like, like, like three running backs and then both quarterbacks. This is one of the, it's, it's, it's a cold game. It's like two great rushing offenses, but it's like, no, no, the move was to run the ball. It was the most efficient way to move the ball down the field. Yes. Third and 15. Oh, actually it's smarter to run it, to run the ball. We're not hunting on this possession. This is our home run play. This is how we need to get going. Because when he's averaging what nine yards a carry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes, that makes a lot of sense, but KJ healthy is what we talked about. The the John neighbor Mm -hmm. stat that that I brought up on the preview pod, Arkansas's offense is different when he's healthy and KJ, Mm -hmm. man, when he gets that bye week to just kind of recover and not, and it was a personal bye week because I realized that, that Arkansas technically did attempt to play offense last week against LSU. 
not to you know what's funny though while that game was happening i just kept looking at my buddies and i was like if kj was healthy we'd be getting blown out right now and that appears to have been probably true uh just based on how we actually played worse than Ole Miss. maybe yeah Hill Perkins would still be in the game but the fact that that team was one dimensional was the only reason we were able to commit and stop rocket sanders which they couldn't do because kj is just a dynamic player and obviously he wasn't the best player on his offense but it just gives you enough of that little shake to have to decide where rocket sanders is and it's too late Arkansas just needs they need all three of those things to be on the table for that offense to be looking good. They they mm-hmm. need the runability, obviously, of of both KJ and Rocket, and then having KJ actually able to to throw the ball and 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 hang in the pocket and kind of make you pay for 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 over committing to that. That that's what makes this offense go. And it was going on Saturday night. Boy, it was mm-hmm. going. Um Lane. Lane looked cold, miserable. He did. And I felt bad for him because that's not a guy that's probably spent a whole lot of time in weather like that in recent memory. Um, mm-hmm. It talks about how he's living his best life in Boca Raton at FAU. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this was not a fun game for Ole Miss by any stretch of the imagination. And even though you're sitting there at eight and three, it's a good thing, in my opinion, that they have the Egg Bowl coming up because that kind of naturally gets the blood flowing after a game in which, look, I didn't think that defensively they don't want to be there in the first half when you're not getting off blocks like that. I mean, it, it's very, very clear not to take away from what Arkansas did, but yeah, it was ugly. Lane is two and three against the West with wins being against Auburn and a that hasn't aged well for him this year after a great start, a really, really good start against competition that we had questions about. And obviously that resume has not aged very, very well. Best win of the year still might be that home win against Kentucky. I know people are talking about Troy as the best win of the year. It's, it's been a little bit rough. It's been a little bit rough. I was asked on uh, which, which show was it? I think it was Birmingham radio or something like that. Whatever the case. Um, I was asked if we're going to hear on black Friday, that Kiffin is off to Auburn. And I don't know that we're going to find out that soon, but if I'm an Ole Miss fan, I'm just hoping that the further removed you get from the egg bowl, the less likely it becomes, mm-hmm. I, but, but who knows, you know, who, who truly knows. I didn't think that Lane's post game press conference answer of I'm happy at Ole Miss and I'm excited about the future. I didn't think that was very definitive. Mm-hmm. I didn't, that didn't exactly put that to rest in my opinion it did i was i was laughing because i was listening to uh muscona and you never know with muscona he couldn't be right or wrong but he was like you know i've heard from some people that he really likes it in old miss he might be staying there da, 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 da. and that's why i texted you i was like lane kiffin finally came to terms that he was the old mrs head the old miss head coach and just immediately got throttled by arkansas <laughs> and it's like that would be funny if that if he was like you know what i'm here but yeah i mean i just i i've talked about it before i love i I'm not one of the older fans that has like a big rivalry with Ole Miss with LSU. I've always like kind of respected them and the things they've been through just because they beat Alabama a couple times and I rooted for them in those games. Um, but honestly, like I just think this whole thing is kind of dumb. And you've heard me say it over and over again, but I'm just I'm I'm not gonna do the victory lap. It's just this is kind of who Lane Kiffin is. If you hire him and want expectations, he's never had them. He's never led up to them. This is it. I think Ole Miss is in a really good place if they keep him. I think that they can have a year where they go and re- beat the right teams or whatever. But if you're Auburn. Okay, this is what you want. All right. I hope for the sake of Ole Miss fans that it's not about to get real messy in the next yeah. week plus. I do. Um, and mind you, my frustration here is, like I said, I love the Ole Miss fan base, and I feel like they're being done dirty here. This isn't like too. an anti-Ole Miss thing. Like, I, the more that this season has gone on, the more I'm like, dude, just be happy, man. This is a good team. You got the good vibes. You put this team together. Own it. Make it your team. Let's go. 
and it's tough sometimes because obviously Lane, we've we've talked about the the, the calling out sort of a Ole Miss fans who yeah like the tailgate and like the Grove. And when your team is beating up on in an inferior opponent, you see that the stadium empty out. And, you know, a lot of teams deal with that. Even Alabama's dealt with that, right? Like it's, that's not mm-hmm. necessarily unique, but yeah, I mean, I've been here for two years that Lane has interest in Auburn. All right. I was even hearing that during 2020. When right. Some of this was, was going on from, from people, from people around Ole Miss, by the way, people around mm-hmm. Ole Miss, and if you kind of see the, you know, you see the the way that that Chris Lowe talked about it when he mm-hmm. went on uh, when he went on the next round, and um, let's just say, yeah, that 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 comment made the rounds to some mm-hmm. important people. Um, and this is a thing we're not we're not just fabricating this. Lane could absolutely come back to Ole Miss. Lane could leave Robert. And if you're an Ole Miss fan that is just telling yourself that won't happen, that won't happen. I think you need to open yourself up to the possibility that the next week is about to, is about to be a very interesting time for the trajectory of your program. I and I wouldn't I'm not look I would have been saying that if they won this game 50 to mm-hmm. nothing, okay? I would have, but I think that's the the what's next and what's waiting for Old Miss is is this very important pivotal decision. Who knows? Maybe Lane hasn't even totally made up his mind yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think Ole Miss fans are like an underrated Sacos fan base. They've been through so much over the last ten years. They're through a lot. They're through a lot. They and so it's one of those things that's like I'm sure they're probably real about where they're at. But like I said, I just think they deserve a little bit better. Now, hey, if Lane stays and turns into a wagon and a beaten LSU, I'll be back to like ah, maybe not. <laughs> but as of right now, I love them and they're awesome. So <laughs> let's take a quick break before we get to some uh, some Heisman stuff, some playoff stuff, and and set up rivalry week. You guys know that sports betting isn't legal in all these states like Georgia and Alabama, Florida, Mm -hmm. South Carolina. In other words, like most SEC states, sports betting is not legal yet. I want to talk to you about Underdog Fantasy. You might have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now. And they have some awesome college football contests where you can compete for real money. It's a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with Underdog right now. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks, they'll throw in 50 more dollars. It's a great way to get some money to play on these contests. So what does it look like for college football? Every week you can pick higher or lower for different players. For example, just like we always talk about on the Saturday Down South podcast when we do our preview pods with the over-unders, Stetson Bennett, uh, higher or lower, 200 passing yards. It's pretty similar to sports betting player props, and you can put real money on the line. And yes, this is legal and live in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, et cetera. All right. So I just looked at some of the higher lowers on underdog. You have to pick a couple of these here. Um, So the ones I did from Monday Night Football, I did under 247 and a half passing yards for Jimmy Garoppolo. Shout out. Rolling Seems safe. Yeah. Seems pretty safe, right? A little suspicious there uh jimmy grappa who was in my high school football conference yeah weird that? very random very random not a whole lot of not a whole lot of dudes coming out of the mid-suburban league but yeah he and tommy zabikowski few and far mm-hmm. between uh other one that i like over 11 and a half rushing yards for debo samuel that seems light seems really light i don't know Traylon burke's prop by the way if you listen to the preview pod that hit any that hit on the first drive of the game. Mm-hmm. Told you that was going to hit. We hit two out of three on our on our Thursday night football props. But yeah, we're going to do that every single week with Underdog talking about some of these NFL props, looking ahead to some of these games. 
So that's it. Underdog is awesome. It's super fun to do while you're watching college football or any other sport in your living room. You can win some real money. Go to saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog. Take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. You can get up to $100 free saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog. All right, well, let's talk some Heisman stuff. Cool. I think the SEC's Heisman chances ended when Hendon Hooker went down. I do. Yeah. Um, probably wouldn't have won anyway with it being such a damper for loss number two and the fact that the Vols would have been totally out of sight, out of mind during conference championship weekend with that second mm-hmm. loss. So we wouldn't have even been talking about them in the playoff. And that that when you when all of a sudden you give people a reason to not care mm-hmm. about you that and you don't have these overwhelming numbers which look hooker's numbers are really really good but there are guys who have better numbers right now is working in his favor obviously that he was playing for a top five team that had playoff aspirations i think we can agree that a a hurt hendon hooker who plays two fewer games if that's what it plays out being you know turns out to be where he's only got 11 games total or something like that i think that he's going to be out of the mix mm-hmm. also I don't know who needs to hear this, but Stetson Bennett's Heisman chances ended a month ago. Okay. They did. Um, I told you about the 40 touchdown thing and Gary Danielson clearly did not listen to me on that. Gary said during that game that Stetson was a top two candidate for the Heisman and Gary, I think has a vote and he's saying this. I think Stetson has been great. I do. And he he might be a strength instead of a liability for a team that repeats as a national champ, and he might become the first quarterback to do that since A.J. McCarron. If he does that, I'll give him all the props in the world. I really will. But he's got 21 total touchdowns. Mm-hmm. He doesn't rank in the top 10 in any major category. He entered the day 82nd nationally with four passing plays of 40 yards. And if you tell me he's just a winner, Then we're reverting back to 2006 Troy Smith when we decided that the best player in college football, the aforementioned Darren McFadden, wasn't Mm -hmm. old enough to win the Heisman Trophy. That's what we decided once upon a time. Silly, silly. So let's not do that. The about the college football has changed in 10 years is so funny because it used to be, I think like Ingram was like one of the first like true sophomores to win the Heisman. And it was like, that was so groundbreaking. And now it's like, bro, we got like NIL, we got transfer. You guys are dumb for like 20 years about this stuff. It wasn't that big of a deal. Tebow was the first in 2007. McFadden walked so that Tebow could right. Right. Yeah, you're no, you're absolutely, but he also had like a national championship and like was a part of that team. So it was like, it was like he had been there for two years. Yeah, exactly. And that, that certainly helps. Um, and again, if you're banging the drum for Stetson as a legitimate Heisman candidate, like Georgia fans, is, is he a top two player on your team? Is he Jalen Carter, Brock Bowers, probably better than him? I think he's third mm-hmm. at best. So look, I'm not trying to dog Stetson here or anything like that, but. He would not get my vote. I don't think he's going to be in New York. I think that statistically, he just hasn't necessarily had the season that you're talking about for the most prestigious award in college football. You could say he's been really good and he's risen above expectations, but there's a difference between that and saying that he's been the best individual player in college football. Um, So who would get my vote? I Even after the loss, I know it was a loss. I might still go Drake May because he's been ridiculous. He's been Listen, very, very good. We're all addicted to something. For me, I like food. For you, you like UNC quarterbacks. And that's okay. All right. <laughs> I was a big Sam Howell guy. You're right. You were. We're I not going to talk about the first one out of respect to you. All right. But <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever. It happens. Uh, 
I'm talking about Trubisky. <laughs> not, not Sam Howell. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back up on that. Let's pull. Oh, no, 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 no. I was I was down on Trubisky from the okay. jump, and that terrified me. No, no, no. That was that was not somebody – he was – Mitch Trubisky was not an, an, a Connor all-bang-the-drum team member. Okay, okay. Not Good that we cleared the record of that. Okay. And I'll say this. I have been kind of – um, I don't want to say anti-Caleb Williams, but I've been – like, let's see what he does against quality defenses. I kept bringing up the stat in the offseason about how much he has struggled against top 70 defenses. He was great on Saturday night, and he has had a really, really nice season for USC. And they've actually dealt with kind of a lot of injuries with their receivers, too. All these guys that they brought over, Mario Williams and Jordan Addison, and and they've kind of just had to figure things out. Travis Dye went down with the season-ending injury. Like, they, they have dealt with some actual depth issues on offense, and he has just kind of continued to find a way. So if, they, if they're able to win out and they win the Pac-12 with the way that their schedule was so backloaded, which, again, that includes beating Notre Dame, and now it would have to be beating Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. If that happens, I'm like, all right, man. I, I can't I can't deny that. I, I can't. Mm-hmm. CJ Straub doesn't really wow me. He doesn't. And he's another guy where I just kind of look at it and I'm like, are, are you the best player on your team? I I I don't know. No. I, <laughs> Pretty I, clearly I, no. <laughs> and I know like the numbers are gonna be there. They really will. I just think he's a more flawed player who makes some kind of baffling decisions at, at some points. And he goes through some of these very significant droughts over the course of the game. And when stuff breaks down, watch, watch when plays break down for Bryce young and then watch when plays break down for CJ Stroud. It's very yeah. different. Very I mean, different. Bryce young is like maybe the best quarter. I mean, other than like maybe burrow, like, I, but the thing about burrow is like burrow is in an offense that helped him. So like, even then it's like, Bryce Young is like the best quarterback I think I've seen at that. Like, like when just no one is helping him and he's just running around like, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be messy. And even Blake Corum getting injured in that game for Michigan. Yeah. It's, Look, I hate to be that guy because I, I don't like to speak in too many generalities here. Mm-hmm. It's going to be kind of a down year for the highs, a little bit of a down year. Okay. I think it's fair. It's, and that's fine. That's fine. It could end up being a, a really entertaining playoff in which maybe we're going to get three awesome games. Again, I don't mm-hmm. bank on that, but maybe if that were to happen, who knows? That would be a lot of fun, but just not necessarily a vintage year for the Heisman Trophy in which we're seeing an unprecedented Devontae Smith or Joe Burrow put up these records. Or even last year, I mean, people talked about even a down year for for the Heisman, and I'm still looking at Bryce Young and some of the things that he's doing in, in a game thinking, man, if, if you think it's just boring that Bryce Young is winning the Heisman, you're just not watching him play football. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think it'll end up being a little bit of uh, not necessarily – the the Heisman ceremony that has this unbelievable once in a generation talent season type thing. And I'm not just saying that because the, it looks like the SEC is going to miss out on the Heisman trophy for the first time since 2018. Yeah. I mean, this is just a great season of college football. There really has not, I mean, Georgia has been like the dominant team, but we've talked about it. You know, they struggle with Missouri, Kent state, like, and to your point, it's like, Stetson's touchdown high in a game is three. It was against Mississippi State. We also had two picks, and we just saw Spencer Rattler throw six touchdowns. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's in college football. There's sometimes you just throw five or six touchdowns. Like sometimes that just happens. And like obviously Caleb Williams has done it numerous times. He has 40 total touchdowns. And so like yeah, like Caleb Williams is a guy who I feel like is going to rise. But yeah, I think that the takeaway is like, well yeah, maybe there's not this one like dynamic like Lamar Jackson who's kind of doing his own thing away from contention. But other than that, this is kind of how this is going to go because without you know without Hooker at least. 
East because it's like all these teams are separated by like a hair's breadth other than Georgia, right? But again, they don't really have a guy. So all these other teams are very like close to one another. And it feels like this is going to come down to the wire. And I started to make the joke about like the smoke is going to clear and it's just going to be Bo Nick standing there. But we already literally tried that. We got to the point where we were like, maybe Bo Nick. No, 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 no. No. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think bonix is winning the heisman probably but that not. shows how crazy this is because you can't even joke about like random bonix like we literally are already past that point of I this know. discourse it's weird yeah I, again drake may would probably still be my leader in the clubhouse but we'll wait and see how this plays out with a couple of these teams on the stretch especially and he's got clemson like that's the thing if he plays well against clemson he's very much still in it yeah a big game winning acc championship for a team that wasn't necessarily supposed to be there that mm-hmm. would make a lot of sense, in my opinion. All right, a couple of playoff things real quick here. Uh, the SEC suddenly has the clearest playoff picture of any conference, I think. Weird thing to say. Yeah, very mm-hmm. weird. Georgia has a loss to give. That much we know. LSU needs to win out. We don't have to have the LSU-Tennessee debate. Told you this was going to probably gone. work itself out. It's gone just like that. The uh, Tennessee thing, and I hate to say it as a version of ball don't lie, because it's like you didn't win your division. You're still trying to make an argument that you should be there. Now there's no argument. Sometimes these things just work themselves out. They usually work themselves out. And again, I, I would I would still push back on that and say that Tennessee would have had the argument, obviously, but now losing the way that they did against South Carolina, that's not going to happen. So the list of teams that have a chance to make the playoff, and again, just chance, mm-hmm. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, LSU, USC, Clemson, that's it. Anybody else is talking about that on the selection show on Tuesday night, just say, nope, you're not really keeping me informed on the way that the playoff is going to play out. You're just talking to fill time. That's all they're right. doing. That's it. Um, e- even Clemson, I, uh, they, they probably had a, a tough setback, despite the fact that they had all these things work in their way going into, you know, going into probably, or I shouldn't say probably, a favorable matchup against South Carolina. Let's, let's, mm-hmm. not, let's not underestimate South Carolina anymore. We will never do that. Right. Um, going into that matchup against South Carolina, you're like, all right, well, Clemson got all these things to kind of happen to line up. Tennessee losing was, of course, a, a big part of that. But then even UNC isn't going to be a top 10 team because they just lost to Georgia Tech. So the, mm-hmm. the lack of quality wins that Clemson's going to have could be something that holds them back. But who knows? Maybe they they will get exactly what we need to sneak into the field. What TCU is doing is silly. It, it just is. It it That play was a microcosm of their entire season. <laughs> it was great. If you didn't see what I'm talking about, they ran the ball to set up a rushed field goal because it was – a third down run, they had no timeouts and it was fourth down. And rarely do we see this actually attempted. And especially with the game and the entire season on the line on the road at Baylor and all or nothing dude just steps up and drills it. Just unbelievable. Sonny Dykes apparently said afterwards that they, they practice that all the time every week um dude the sickos committee <laughs> tweeted about that they were like this is a great sickos committee walk-off and there was a dude who was an ncaa referee in the replies and he was like oh yeah no according to the rule book right here there's actually this really specific rule that the defense doesn't actually have an opportunity to sub in this exact situation when you have no timeouts and you're rushing in to have a field goal because somebody was like why didn't they just sub it's like no 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 these guys knew the rules <laughs> that's very key when it games like this but still, at the same time, they looked when that play, when that third down run happened and they all had this moment of pause, they all looked to the sideline and then they just dart and they hook off. Yeah. Hook off. And you can't. And I was, uh, Danny Brams was telling me, yeah, they practice this all the time. 
they looked like a panic group. And for them to pull that off, that game was crazy. That was such a fun mm-hmm. ending. But uh, yeah, I, I might be... I might be falling in love with TCU and I'm ready to get hurt <laughs> because they're incredible to watch some of these games on the stretch. Uh, I brought up how rare it is to see a team do this with a nine game conference schedule to mm-hmm. run the table, to win your conference championship. 2019 Ohio state's the only team that's done that so far. Pat 40 had the stat that TCU is the first team to win seven consecutive games by 10 points or less since 1975, which was what administration will was it? Jimmy Carter, Gerald Ford close. Dang it. Close. Yeah. I've missed it yeah. twice now. Yeah, I just, it's was, the default guess. Yeah, I think Jimmy was Jimmy 77 to 81. I, think I was about was. to say there was like some early 80s in there a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, because he was uh um do you believe in miracles? Yeah, he was president for that. Mm-hmm. Miracle. Great movie. There you go. Love that movie. Um, yeah, but that's kind of the way that this is has all worked out now with Ohio State, Michigan. That loser of that game is now set up really, really well. And I mean I don't know that we're going to have more than once. I, I think maybe we'll have one spot debated, but this is all working itself out pretty quickly before our mm-hmm. eyes. And I don't know that we're going to have a true, true debate uh, on selection Sunday of which team should get in any other. Yeah, it's, cra- it's crazy, man. Cause we talked about it in the last show. And I was like, Oh, I kind of wish I had expanded playoff for this year. And some of that's still true. Cause you still got, you know, USC, you still got like some other teams that want to see, but yeah, in kind of one weekend, it was like, huh, maybe nobody's good, but Georgia, Hmm. <laughs> and yeah. even Georgia, you know what I'm saying? They were like in a dog fight. Let's be honest about it. You know what I'm saying? So it's like there was not, you know, other than the LSU Tigers who handled business at home against UAB, you know, who could forget them? But every other team in the top five, like, but it started at six. That's the thing. Like, because USC almost lost. Like, that was an insane week. And like, like we said, these things kind of just figure themselves out. That's why we specifically don't really lean too far into the playoff stuff. Like, the first one's always kind of like a reset because it's like, oh, let's see what, like, what these guys think of the first like eight weeks or whatever. But then it's like, yeah, these things will always find a way. And then also, you could look at like the third to last poll and then the last poll and be like, oh, nothing changed for this one team. The committee just kind of got bored of them and so we 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 really try to like focus on the last couple of these because now is when it starts to matter it is and the top four will be unchanged despite all the chaos that was and then tennessee will fall out of the top five lsu will jump into that spot presumably unless unless usc jumps them but i don't think they have to play their hand on that yet i don't think that'll happen um, it all comes down to Georgia because there's just no shot. I mean, there's no shot that LSU makes it without beating Georgia. Yeah. And I think there's no shot. There's not a team west of like the Mississippi that is like that I think is anywhere near Georgia. <laughs> so like point being, like I just I if you yeah, okay, you beat whoever is in the Pac-12. I don't know, but whatever other Pac-12 team you need to beat, sure. But if LSU beats Georgia, I think they just continue to stay above them. And then the only question really is Michigan and Ohio State, which like considering how poorly they both played, hopefully we're not all still on the Joel Clapp bandwagon of like, actually, they're just so good that they make these other good teams look good, look bad. It's like no, these teams are actually not as great as we actually thought, and they finally started to see it. But of course, it's cold, so you got to factor that in. It's cold, man. Yeah, yeah. got to always go, always factor that in. Like you nobody was go by Loa out there throwing darts, and it's because it's cold. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Talia's Talia's incredible, man. Watching watching some of that, thro- some of those throws. I'm like, oh man, it would have been so cool to watch this guy get an opportunity at Bama. But obviously, yeah. never gonna the Bryce Young thing that was never gonna be able to happen. He's in year four. In college. Yeah, Isn't that weird. He's been there forever. Yeah. Gosh, I always feel look weird at the career I... passing yard guys because he's got to be really high up there. I think I think he has. He set Maryland's career passing record yesterday. I'm pretty what sure he can't... did. Which two years being there, right? No, three years. This is his third year there. Third year there. As like a starter, yeah. Yeah, third year there because he was there. Yeah, transferred after 2019 after his freshman year in which mm-hmm. he was not really at Alabama for the long haul. That much we knew. 
Um, okay, a couple things on rivalry week before we go. Um, I have a few things that came to mind here. The SEC can have as many as 13 bowl teams. Sorry, AM. That would take Vandy beating Tennessee. It would also take Auburn beating Alabama. That's my next question for you. What is more likely? Vandy beats Tennessee or Auburn beats Bama in Tuscaloosa? Oh, man. I mean, if you had given me the South Carolina one, I would have taken that. But uh, I think... Oh, let's let's add that to it too. Or South Carolina wins at Clemson. Which, oh, which I mean, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll take that because I think that South Carolina is the best of those three teams for sure, and Clemson might be kind of like the worst one. So we'll see. I mean, you never know about Tennessee, but yeah, Tennessee with a backup quarterback too is tough. Because I mean, it's just weird because like all like we're talking about the coordinators fighting for their jobs in Alabama, and they did not look good in that first half. I don't know what's going to happen with that, but anyway, yeah, that I would take Clemson. I would take South Carolina first. I still feel like I would, this is going to come back to haunt me. I feel like I would take South Carolina first. I feel like I would have to take Vandy second and then Auburn third simply too. because, because of Hinton Hooker. I need you guys to understand if he comes out like the undertaker would be a totally different game. Yes. And we like bazooka Joe. We really do. But considering <laughs> do how he's very fun, objectively fun. of what you think he's of bazooka fun. Joe, now that, I've, now that I'm calling him that, I must be a fan. That's just how it's going to work. But, but we like him, but there's just such a, 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 a uh, you know, you have a guy who was favored to win the Heisman for most of the year, and you have a guy whose job he took, you know, so it's just different. And so Vandy, you know, coming off of this Florida win and the Kentucky win, I just feel like, they're, and they're fighting for bowl eligibility. Your point's just like, this might be, this is the game that Tennessee usually loses. And it's funny because I like started to joke about that. About Remember in 2016, they had almost this exact same thing happen. They were like amazing. They lost a couple. And then it was like South Carolina, Vandy. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. I might just blindly pick all three dogs to cover the spread <laughs> in, the, in those, in those games. Oh, you got sense. at that point. You got to, it's like, it's vibes. Like you got yeah. You got to root for that for on the weekend. Right. Weird Iron Bowl, by the way, first time since 2007 that there will not be a one-loss team playing in this game. Isn't that wow. crazy that both teams will have multiple losses? Because Bama, I mean, 2010, obviously you have the comeback, and then uh, 2013, you know, the kick six, then even yeah, 2019 because Bama only had one loss. They had the LSU loss, and that was it before that. And then Mac had the two pick sixes in that game, but. Yeah, it's just kind of weird the way that this is that way the way that this rivalry is is setting up and to see Cadillac gets a coach in this game is going to be cool. Potentially last college games for Bryce Young and Will Anderson. That's something mm-hmm. to keep in mind. Thank um, goodness. <laughs> so, I love those guys. I hope they make lots of money and provide generational wealth for their family. I just don't like playing against them. Yeah, no. Bummer. But probably last last college games for a lot of these guys, you know, Tank Bigsby, Will Levis, maybe. Tank Bigsby, I would have wrapped myself up in ice like Kobe about six weeks ago. So the fact that he's still out there playing good for Tank, man. He looked great. He looked great, man. <laughs> he does. When Tank gets uh, a free running lane. And, mm-hmm. and he gets to scamper into the end zone like he did on Saturday night. You just see this exhale with him of, oh, my God, yep. I don't have eight defenders just mauling me right now. He just looks like somebody who's like, like a, a dog that's been taken, had the leash taken off. and just gets to run around the backyard and just go crazy and enjoy it. I, I love yes. seeing Tank like that. He has the zoomies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't let Tank get the zoomies. He gets scary. But no, like, no, to your point, that's a really freaking good point. And we need to key on this again in the future. Because you talk about the Marcus Satterfield thing. 
when football is the best is when dude lads are just having fun. When the lads are just out there having fun, when they're not thinking too hard, when they're in like, you know, me, I'm an LSU fan. I think of the 2019 team. They're out there taunting people. They're throwing long touchdown passes. It's fundamentally a kid's game. And so the more fun your team has is correlated to not only vibes, but also winning. And yeah. so to the point about Auburn, like that's why Cadillac has been so impactful because you take a guy like Tank that has been just so like, you know, he's like a shelter dog. It was like, don't just stop yelling at me. This is my fault. We're losing all these games. I don't know. I'm so good. I don't know what's going on. And you just see him get open. He's like, <laughs> living his best life yes. yes love to see it um i love the egg bowl i believe black friday also which i realize the egg bowl is, is thursday it gets to shine on its own but mm -hmm. black friday is the single most underrated day on the college football slate it always is to me mm -hmm. it is second to none have you seen the slate this year it's really really good for black friday uh -uh. let me read this to you Arkansas at Mizzou, Florida at Florida State. That's a that's mm -hmm. a new addition, which I realize that there are some purists that are very upset about that as a fan of Black Friday. I don't necessarily hate that at all. Baylor at Texas, NC State at UNC, Nebraska at Iowa, which is always going to be that touchdown game, right? Oh boy, yeah. They were in that game with with uh, Minnesota. That was awesome. Iowa. It was. I watched. It was embarrassing amount of that. Anyway, Iowa can still win the Big Ten West. <laughs> that's crazy. Just crazy. Tulane at Cincinnati. Another good mm. one too. That's gonna yeah. be a big one. Yeah, gonna be an excellent slate on Friday though. Here's something to put a bow on everything. I need your your guidance here um, as the co-chair of the Good Vibes Committee. Okay, <laughs> talked about Vandy. Vandy is now a nominee for mm -hmm. the ultimate Good Vibes team in college football this offseason. Can South Carolina reclaim the ultimate Good Vibes team title if? They beat Clemson and they win a bowl game or are they going to be off the list if they make a change at offense coordinator? Is that, does that make Ooh. them kind of exempt from this? Okay. So good point. So hopium. Okay. There's nothing that'll bring some hopium like changing your coordinators. Like I said, I've talked about this before as an LSU fan, LSU would change that offensive coordinator, but every year and a half. And every time I was like, this is the guy he's the spread guy. He's going to spread out all these five-star wide receivers. Okay. And so I, I still think it's South Carolina. I think that they could split those two games. I think they don't, I think they, if they lose to Clemson and win their bowl game. They're in there. I think if they beat Clemson and lose their bowl game, they're in there. They just can't go into just can't go into. Okay. So they're definitely, they, they have now, firmly put themselves into the nominee category beating Tennessee that badly at home is just yeah. like that's the I think that's like almost the win of the year in the SEC I think it's more impressive than Georgia's win over Tennessee because it's the same team and they beat them worse and they're worse than Georgia like uh, uh, inarguably like we're gonna have to name an official ultimate good vibes team in January after yep. bowl season we'll name all yep. that we'll wait and see how the transfers play out the coaching carousel all those different things we will settle on an ultimate good vibes team Definitely in the SEC, and maybe if we want to, we'll just make them the ultimate good vibes team in college football. AM's going to like hire Sean Payton. It's going to end up being. <laughs> That'd be crazy. You know, I never thought crazy. I'd be coaching in college, but then my heart just changed. See, $200 million check. You know, it was all my heart. It's about these kids. What's this the best podcast for AM since what, like week four? Because we didn't talk about them at all and didn't talk about that just slot fest wherein about 13 people were there to witness it. Yes, and we're talking about good vibes. So this is a good AM podcast. Yes, it is. If you have not, leave us a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast, join the Facebook group, your name, Red on Air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. I'll see you.